Micah chapter six. Let me just go ahead and, and, and preface this by saying this, this is an impossible sermon because a, a biblical theology of doing justice and loving mercy uh, really could end up being an entire summer sermon series. Um, there, there's a lot biblically that I'm gonna leave off of the table this morning. There are a number of ways to get after this, but in Micah chapter six, we have one of the most well-known Old Testament summaries of godly living where we're told, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Micah presents the question, what does God want from sinners? And the answer is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It's one of the greatest indictments in all of the Bible because you and I have failed to do justice like we should. You and I have failed to love kindness or mercy according to other translations like we should. You and I have failed to walk humbly with God like we should. And so I'm not gonna wait to footnote the gospel at the end of the sermon this, this morning. I'm gonna declare to you, thanks be to God for the glorious hope of the gospel that Jesus lived a perfect life of godliness, the life that you and I could never live, a perfect life of doing justice, a perfect life of loving kindness, a perfect life of walking humbly with God. He died the sinner's death that you and I deserve to die. Our failure to live up to God's standard put upon Jesus as he was punished in our place. You've heard me say it before, many of you. It's what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. Jesus taking our sin upon himself and gifting us his perfect record of righteousness by grace alone, through faith alone, in him alone. And if you're a Christian, to add wonder upon wonder by his indwelling spirit, he both compels and empowers us to do justice. By his indwelling spirit, he both compels and empowers us to love kindness. By his indwelling spirit, he both compels and empowers us to walk humbly with God. It's really interesting. The word for justice in the, in the Hebrew is the word mishpat. It's a word that means to give people what they're due, not only having to do with retribution, but also with restoration, not only having to do with punishment, but also with protection and care. It's a word that's used over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Zechariah 7, very similar language to Micah 6, says this, Zechariah 7, verses 9 and 10, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, no kindness and mercy, or excuse me, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. In Zechariah's day, the, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor had no social power, one tragedy away from starvation at all times. That Hebrew word mishpat has to do with how those weaker members of society are treated. And, and this is one of the most fascinating things that came across to me in terms of this word study, that to ignore those weaker members of society is not simply to lack mercy as an individual, but rather it's to violate justice. It's to violate mishpat. It's to go against the very heart of God himself. Psalm 146 verses seven through nine says, it's God who executes justice, mishpat, for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. Or more simply put, Psalm 68 verse five, 
Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That God takes up the cause of the poor, the oppressed, the, the broken, the marginalized, which makes perfect sense. Not only is it in God's character to do so, but it's a beautiful foreshadowing and pointer to the gospel. God rescuing helpless sinners incapable of rescuing themselves, turning spiritual widows into the bride of Christ by grace, turning spiritual orphans into beloved sons and daughters of God by grace, turning sojourners into citizens of the eternal city of God by grace, turning the poor in spirit into co-heirs with Christ by grace. It's amazing. It's who God is. It's what God does. And you and I, if you're a Christian, we get to put this God on display, revealing his nature and character to the world for his glory, demonstrating the very compassion, mercy, and grace that you and I have received in Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 18 and 19 say this, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Now listen to this, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You were without hope in a land of bondage and I had compassion on you, rescuing you out of that bondage by grace. Display that kind of compassion and grace to others. Take up the cause of the widow, of the orphan, of the sojourner, of the poor. Take up the cause of the single mom, the disabled, the lonely nursing home resident. Take up the cause of the oppressed and the vulnerable, the battered and the abused, those in the womb who don't yet have a voice of their own to plead their own case. And it's not only a principle rooted in redemption, but also going all the way back to creation itself. Every human being that we encounter is created with dignity and worth, made in the image of God, the doctrine of the Imago Dei. And that hasn't changed just because sin entered the world. In the wake of the flood, God made a covenant with Noah and the covenant included these words, Genesis chapter nine, verse six, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. That God still declares us even in the wake of sin's entrance into the world to be image bearers of the living God who created us. You might say, okay, that's a lot of Old Testament. What about the new? Can we move into the other portion of scripture known as the New Testament. What about Jesus? Well, in the gospels, we find Jesus putting the character and nature of the God of all those Old Testament passages on display. When some of John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus asking if he was the Messiah, Jesus said to them, Matthew 11, verses four and five, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. That Jesus came proclaiming hope in the words of one scholar for society's leftovers, for the et ceteras of culture. The same care for the needy and vulnerable characterizing the very heart of God. Tim Keller in his book, Generous Justice, which I would commend to you on, on this issue, it's worth your time. I'll quote him a few different times this morning. He says this, he says, Jesus in his incarnation moved in with the poor. He lived with, ate with, and associated with the socially ostracized. He raised the son of the poor widow and showed the greatest respect to the immoral woman who was a social outcast. Indeed, Jesus spoke with women in public, something that a man with any standing in society would not have done, but Jesus resisted the sexism of his day. 
Jesus also refused to go along with the racism of his culture, making a hated Samaritan the hero of one of his most famous parables and touching off a riot when he claimed that God loved Gentiles like the widow of Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian as much as Jews. Jesus showed special concern for children despite his apostles' belief that they were not worth Jesus' time. Lepers also figured greatly in Jesus's ministry, he says. They were not only sick and dying, but were the outcasts of society. Jesus not only met their need for physical healing, but reached out his hand and touched them, giving them their first human contact in years. He goes on to say, he called his disciples to give to the poor in the strongest and most startling ways while praising the poor for their own generosity. His own mother prophesies prophesied that he would fill the poor, but turn the rich away empty. Yet Jesus also showed true justice, true mishpat, by opening his arms to several classes of people who were not just poor. He ate with and spoke to tax collectors, the wealthiest people in society, yet the most hated since they acquired their gains through collaborating with the Roman forces of occupation. The first witnesses to Jesus' birth were shepherds, a despised group considered unreliable, yet God revealed the birth of his son first to them. The first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were women, another class of people so marginalized that their testimony was not admissible evidence in court. Yet Jesus revealed himself to them first. The examples are too many to enumerate. Which I think helps to make perfect sense of what we find in the book of Acts the earliest expression of Jesus's new community, the church described as followers. Acts chapter four, verse 34, there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Only a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, as I mentioned earlier, we see the early church establishing a ministry infrastructure to care for neglected widows. The apostle James tells us, James chapter one, verse 27, that you can actually use the word religion in a good way. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That part of a pure and undefiled religion involves extending compassion and care to the poor and the vulnerable. Unless we think that such compassion and care is confined to the Christian community alone, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That this call to do justice, to, to love mercy is one to be embraced most certainly and especially within the church body, but the, it also reaches beyond the church. If that weren't true, the sojourner wouldn't be part of the list in all those Old Testament passages alongside the widow the orphan, and the poor. Again, every human being that we encounter is made in the image of God, created with dignity and worth. Jesus himself in the parable of the Good Samaritan says as much as a lawyer to seek, seeking to put Jesus to the test, ask him, who is my neighbor? Can we categorize that Jesus? Who is my neighbor whom I'm to love as myself? And Jesus responds by telling the story of a Samaritan scandalously helping a Jew in need, which is Jesus's way of saying anyone Anyone in need, irrespective of race, irrespective of class, etc., is your neighbor. That Jesus calls us to do the seemingly impossible, to love and to care without loopholes, compelled and fueled by the compassion and mercy and grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. 
That unlike the Jewish man in the parable, you and I weren't left for dead on the side of the road. We were already dead in our trespasses. And Jesus, the great Samaritan, came to breathe life into our dead, lifeless souls. To quote Keller again, he says, only if you see that you have been saved graciously by someone who owes you the opposite, will you go out into the world looking to help absolutely anyone in need. Once we receive this ultimate radical neighbor love through Jesus, we can start to be the neighbors that the Bible calls us to be. That Jesus saw us dead on the side of the road and he stooped down filled with compassion to give us hope and life. We get to do the same thing for other people in light of his mercy and grace to us, extending compassion and mercy and grace and care to those around us, putting the character and nature of God on display for his glory. 19th century Scottish minister, Robert Murray McShane, when you have a name like that, you must be quoted by the church at some point. He once said this, he said, now dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. Objection one, and I'll preface this by saying this might be offensive. Objection one, my money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection two, the poor are undeserving. Answer, Christ might have said they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, he left the 99 and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection three, he says, the poor may abuse it. Answer, Christ might have said the same, yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more. Yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, he says, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious, he says, and happy, and so will you be. Like McShane goes so far as to call doing justice and loving mercy a form of Christian hedonism, a pursuing of your own pleasure, your own happiness. If you wanna know true happiness, he says, extend compassion and care to the poor, to the oppressed, to the broken, to the marginalized, to the forgotten of society. Allow your heart to beat in sync with the very heart of God, a God who clearly, according to the scriptures, has a place in his heart for those on the fringe and watch your happiness increase. Coming back to that Piper quote from earlier, we don't have to neglect evangelism in order to do so. Quite the opposite. When you, when you look at the early church, which we've been doing, right, going back to the fall, the first part of our Acts series, we see both zealous evangelism and zealous care for those in need. We see radical generosity and sacrificial care both within and beyond the church. And we see the bold and humble proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another way to say it, we see the declaration of the gospel resulting in the display of the gospel as people are changed by God's grace and compelled to enter into the needs of others. And we also see the display of the gospel opening the door for the declaration of the gospel as the radical generosity of the Christian community presents opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you might ask the question, okay, how do we, how do, we do this? What can that look like? Well, a couple of thoughts. Number one, it requires spiritual eyes. It requires identifying the needs around us. In both the book, 
books of Psalm and Job, creation is described as a garment that God has woven, a tapestry, you might say. Using that image, Keller says, to do justice means to go to places where the fabric of shalom, to use that imagery, the fabric of peace, the fabric of wholeness has broken down, where the weaker members of societies are falling through the fabric and to repair it. So I present some questions for us to to think about, to think on. Where has the fabric of shalom broken down in our community? What about the surrounding areas? What about the city center itself? Because we're in close proximity. Who are the most powerless and vulnerable members of our society? Who are those facing severe adversity? Who are those on the fringe? Just because we live in a more affluent suburban context doesn't mean that there's no need for mishpat. It doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to do justice and love mercy. But we first have to see the need. We first have to identify the needs around us. And then secondly, it requires disadvantaging ourselves for the sake of other people. Coming back to something I mentioned earlier, the Hebrew word mishpat has to do with how the weaker members of society are treated by the people of God. To ignore them, again, is not simply to lack mercy, but to violate justice. It's to go against the very heart of God. To see a need, you might say, only to turn a blind eye is to violate justice. That, biblically speaking, seeing must lead to sacrificing. Not because it earns us anything with God. Jesus has already accomplished that for us. But in light of what he's done, seeing must lead to disadvantaging ourselves, to sacrificing. To quote Keller one last time, he says, the only way to reweave and strengthen the fabric is by weaving yourself into it. Mishpat is costly. It's both seeing and sacrificing so that others might experience something of the compassion, mercy, and grace of this God that we praise and worship every time we gather in this place. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel itself? That Jesus disadvantaged himself for your sake, for my sake. That Jesus didn't just see our hopeless plight, he weaved himself into the fabric of human existence so that we might know something of the compassion, mercy, grace, and care of God. Coming back to something I mentioned earlier, we we mustn't think that sound doctrine and mercy ministry can't be buddies with each other. It's believing the the sound doctrine of the biblical gospel that actually fuels a a passion for compassion. And so at this point, you might be asking, so what's the bottom line? What are you trying to get at here? The bottom line is this. It's up to you. The staff and eldership of our church, we wanna know what you see. As you look out on the landscape of our community, the surrounding areas, the city itself, to which we have close proximity, what do you see? I'm not talking about um, an, an over-programmed, staff-heavy initiative here. We wanna know based on where you live, work, and play, what, what do you see as it pertains to coming alongside those both in our church and in our community facing severe adversity? But more than that, we wanna hear from those who are not only seeing, but willing to move toward sacrificially. And what we're committed to doing as a, a team of staff and elders is to create visibility through what we're calling the Do Justice, Love, Mercy Initiative. It sounds way fancier than it actually is, I promise you. 
Again, not, not talking about an over-programmed, staff-heavy initiative. We tried that and it didn't work. Several years back, we tried to rally the church around one particular effort only to have minimal participation. We, we tried to have community groups adopt certain efforts in the community itself only to fail to gain traction. But, but I don't see those failed efforts necessarily as a tragedy, but rather more so as an opportunity an opportunity to acknowledge the diversity of gifts and passions represented throughout our church family. We're, we're all different, Paul says, one body with many diverse members. As we gather in this place Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, we're, we're happy to embrace Paul's metaphor of the church as a body with many diverse members as we gather, right? Which is why we're not all the band. And isn't that a good thing, right? We're not all the band, nor is James's community group the band, nor is my community group the kids' ministry. We, we divide and conquer. We cross-pollinate for the sake of, of moving toward our passions, our abilities, and the opportunities that we see around us. But for some reason, we're, we're skeptical to do that when we, when we leave the church building and scatter into the community itself. And so what we're proposing is that we, we try what we do when we gather as we scatter and see what God might do by his grace that we set aside the one-size-fits-all approach, this sponsorship decal that says, this is our thing as a church, <laughs> knowing that, that there are a diversity of gifts and, and passions represented in this very room and by those who aren't able to be with us this morning, asking ourselves, what, what am I passionate about? What, what do I, I find my heart stirred and moved by as it pertains to coming alongside those in our church and in the community facing severe adversity? How has God gifted me? What kind of abilities and resources do I have to bring to the table as it pertains to coming alongside those in our church and in the community facing severe adversity? Where do I see opportunity, open doors to take that passion and gifting and put it to use as it pertains to coming alongside those in our church and in the community facing severe adversity? adversity, passion, gifting, and opportunity. Some of you in this room have figured that out. And hear me when I say this, we, we need you. We wanna give visibility to your efforts on the ground. That's what we mean by the Do Justice, Love Mercy initiative. Again, not the staff and eldership of the church owning and coordinating all these different ministry efforts, rather the staff and elder, eldership of the church giving visibility to those efforts, creating space in our Sunday gatherings for those on the ground to give voice and testimony, creating visibility on our website, establishing a, a growing list of bridges to do justice and love mercy so that those of us who don't have an answer to those questions can come alongside and connect to those who do. And then... We wanna get out of the way as staff and elders so that you can discern by God's grace and the Spirit's leading who, what, where he's calling you. Putting more organizational tracks on the ground, you might say, when there's actually enough momentum that it makes sense to do that, but not before so. I was thinking about this this week. We may never be a church that has 100 people behind one particular effort. We might be a church that has a few people behind 100 different efforts. And as long as we're embracing a life of mercy and justice fueled by God's generosity and grace, so be it. I'll be sending out an email this week. I'm blasting it to our entire database, asking what boils down to two questions. You've already heard them. Number one, what do you see? What do you see? Where is the fabric of shalom broken down around us? Who, who are the most 
powerless and vulnerable members of our society? Who are those facing severe adversity? Who are those on the fringe? Some of you live in the surrounding areas of Peachtree City. For those of you who live in Peachtree City, this will not be easy because the community itself, by way of its covenant signage and, and other commitments, have pushed the brokenness outside of the realm of visibility. You gotta look really hard to see it. What do you see? And then secondly, are you engaging that need presently? And if not, are you willing to? And out of those responses, we as a team of staff and elders will begin to give visibility, one, to the needs around us so that we will be able to see what's been hidden before. And then secondly, so that we can give visibility to those who are on the ground and connect you to them if you don't know how to engage this. We wanna help, particularly knowing that people are always moving into this area, trying to learn the area, get to know the area. We can give them quick access to ways to engage and extend compassion, care, and love to the marginalized, the, the broken, the forgotten, the powerless, the vulnerable. So that, coming back to something I said earlier, we might reveal something more of God's nature and character to the world around us, that this is ultimately about God's glory here. That we might demonstrate the very compassion, mercy, and grace that we have received ourselves in Jesus Christ so that our hearts might beat more in sync with the very heart of God. And what that means is that it's not just about God's glory, but to go back to McShane's quote, it's also about our joy. That God is most glorified in us, Piper would say, when we are most satisfied in him and we find our greatest satisfaction when our heart beats in sync with his. I'm gonna go ahead and attempt to create visibility right out of the chute. So you'll see more of this as we move forward in the coming months, but I wanna go ahead and invite Jason Piffle, he's our executive director up, and also Sarah Casey, who's one of our partners and is on the ground. You, many of you heard from her uh, last year. Uh, we began to lay some groundwork for where we're going uh, in terms of this Do Justice, Love Mercy initiative, and um, we just really want to kind of put our money where our mouth is by uh, creating visibility even this very morning. So I'm going to get out of the way and we'll continue to move forward with our service. All right. Here, buddy. Uh, this is uh, Sarah Casey. She, if you haven't met her, she's awesome and amazing. Uh, former person in my community group till I kicked her out, sent her somewhere else. Just kidding. She's amazing. Uh, so Sarah does a lot around here and has a specific passion. As we talk about these things uh, in this congregation with you all, that's really what we're looking for is kind of what is God doing in you? What sort of compassionate um, leanings do you have in the midst of our community, in the midst of uh, being in down, you know, close to downtown Atlanta, and there's lots and lots of opportunities. So um, that's what we're looking for, and like what Jamie said, uh, we're trying to make some of these things visible to you. So starting out uh, today, well, we've kind of done some stuff in the past with Sarah, um, but we're really trying to be even more proactive and actually give you the ability to respond uh, to certain opportunities. So more things are coming as we go, but what we want to do is talk a little bit to Sarah here. And uh, Sarah's involved with an organization called Out of Darkness in downtown Atlanta. And so I'm going to go ahead and have her share a little bit about that uh, ministry. All 
right. So, um, as Jason was saying, I'm a volunteer with Out of Darkness and located in downtown Atlanta. And what Out of Darkness is, is an anti-trafficking um, organization um, whose main focus is on reaching out um, to those in commercial sexual exploitation. And that falls under um, prostitution or... Um, um, being in strip clubs, whether it's by choice or by force, um, they are the population we are targeted at reaching. Um, so reaching and then eventually rescuing, if that's something that they're ready for, and then restoring. So we have that three-part um, thing that helps in um, getting rid of trafficking because I don't know if you guys have heard, but Atlanta is one of the main hubs for sex trafficking. Um, and so that is our opportunity to go out and just bring light into these dark places um, because these people most of the time won't come to us. We got to go to them. And so, um, yeah, so that's what I'm a part of. Cool. So with, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a Super Bowl happening in Atlanta this year. Some of you don't care at all. Um, that's okay. And some of you care too much. Um, and some of you just right. So anyway, it all works out. But with that, I think, comes a natural draw. If you think about supply and demand, there with this event comes a demand to exploit women in the ways that Sarah is talking about. And with this demand comes uh, this pull of a need of supply, which is really a crazy thing to think about, that people will use other human beings to satisfy the evil desires of other human beings. And so people will come from all over the place and um, will be pulling uh, women from Central America and all the way to our backyard. So in light of that, Out of Darkness is doing some uh, special things in the next couple weeks, and I wanted to Sarah to share some of those because those might spark your interest to get involved. So. Awesome. So, um, what Out of Darkness is doing, they're teaming up with um, different organizations that are local and also out of Georgia, like not in Georgia, so outside of Georgia, and we're coming together and um, with Atlanta law enforcement and a bunch of other just different pieces. Um, and we're coming together to, um, it's an initiative called the Safe Zone Atlanta. So it's basically just all of us coming together, doing what we're already doing, which is outreach or rescue team. Um, and a rescue team um, are people who like come and get um, the girls if they're ready to come out um, of that lifestyle. And we also have uh, people who they train to talk on the phone with them and do like intakes when they're ready. So there's a need for that. Um, obviously the outreach at MARTA stations um, and outreach at different strip clubs and um, gosh, just on the streets of Atlanta too. So there's just so many ways you can get involved there too and awareness is a huge one. Um, and also eventually getting involved with shelters where the girls are taken to after being rescued. So if any of those are something you're interested in, um, this is the perfect organization for that. And um, they are really solid, really gospel-centered um, people. So um, 
I'm trying to think. Oh, another cool thing, too, is our before the Super Bowl, um, our leaders of our organization talked with um, some of the higher-ups for the Falcons, and so they're very aware and on board for us and with us, even though, like, the Falcons aren't in the Super Bowl. Oh, bummer. But, <laughs> but um, so, so that's just really cool, too, that they're like, yeah, this is a huge issue, and we totally back you guys up, and we're here if you need anything. Um, so we just really appreciate that and how the city's rallying around us. And um, so we're just really excited to see what that's about. And if you do want to get involved, um, the whole week, of leading up to the Super Bowl. There are different things going on um, at our mother, um, I don't know what you call it, um, base. And that's at the Atlanta Dream Center um, in downtown by Old Fourth Ward. Um, and that's where we meet. And there's going to be a prayer rally um, for the week and for everything that's going to happen leading up to the Super Bowl. And we have outreaches, like I was mentioning earlier. Um, and then we will eventually, as the week goes on, um, we will actually go out in those outreaches during the day and at nighttime, too, when it's really, really active. So um, if you're interested in that, check out safezoneatlanta.org or come find me, and we'll chat about it. So. Cool. So you may be sitting in your seat thinking about, okay, well, what do, what do I do with all that? Um, you may be someone who God is obviously moving in your heart and is moving you towards participating with Sarah. And I would highly encourage you to act on that and not to just kind of leave here and not take any action. And I'm gonna tell you how to do that in a second. Some of you may be thinking, eh, I don't know. I don't know if that's where my heart is or not. Um, and I would encourage you to take a step of faith and get involved. Um, try it out. See if that's something that um, God wants you to do, something that it moves you, something that you could be passionate about, because all these things really are a picture of who God is, right? It's a picture of that God is the most just being in the universe, and by jumping in as believers, as Christ followers, we show a picture of God's justice in this world, which we need a lot of. And so, um, I want to highly encourage you to jump on if you're one of those two. Um, you may be sitting there and go, that's just not my thing. And I would encourage you to, at a minimum, please be praying about this. This is a huge problem. And we need to be uplifting um, Sarah and out of darkness and the people that are be participating in this. We also need to be praying for these ladies who are just completely trapped and feel like they can't escape. So this is a big, huge thing. And I think we can all participate in some one way or another. So if you want to participate and want to jump in on this ministry in particular, here's how you do it. Um, you can look at the uh, Connect Guide, the little bulletin thing. If you open that up on the inside, there's all those really fancy QR codes. Let me explain what those are. I've done it explained before, but some, sometimes you just need more. So uh, it's just a little code. You can take your phone out, turn on your camera like you're going to take a picture of yourself, you know, which we all know how to do that, or most of us do. But put it and, sh and, and point it towards that QR code. And what will happen is on the top of your phone, a little thing will slide down and a link. 
you click on that, and that will take you to a special page that we've created for this ministry that it will be ongoing here at Crosspoint. So you just click on the link. It takes you there, and there you'll see information, all the things that Sarah's been talking about, and it'll say, join this group. You click on it, and now Sarah has information where she can reach out to you. She can send you locations. You know, she mentioned different places downtown. You're thinking, oh, I don't even know where that's at. That will all be in that group. We'll have, we have maps in there, um, different events that are going to be happening this week. Sarah's filling those out. You'll get reminders. It's just a great system for you to be able to engage this and actually know what's going on. And Sarah can reach out to you. You can also email her. All of her information's there. You can call her, and she will um, fill you in on any questions that you might have. So I would highly recommend that. Uh, you can do that right now. You can do that after church. If you don't want to do any of those things and you just need help, Sarah can help you. She's going to be standing in the back there, and you can just say, here's my phone, Sarah. What do I do? And she will, I, we went through this yesterday, and she is a pro, and she will take care of you. So anyway, um, and even as, as staff, we would love to talk to you. If there's more, uh, we would love to see this grow. And we know that there are people in this congregation who have different passions about other things. For example, you may have a heart for special needs kids. That's the kind of stuff that we're looking at to engage in our community as a way that we can love people and we can show God's love to them and eventually share the gospel to see people come to know Jesus. That's really what it's all this is about.